If you appreciate the band, would you say thank you, band? And if you appreciate the Lord Spirit in this place, would you say thank you, Jesus? Amen. I invite you to pray the prayer that we've been praying as a church together. Let's pray together. Father, unleash the power of the Holy Spirit to bring spiritual breakthrough in my life, in our church family, in our community. Fill us with humility, unity, and passion. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. May the name of Jesus be held in high honor in all that we say and do. Amen. Amen. Have you seen some glimpses of that happening? I have. I have. As I've looked around, as I've heard stories about what's going on and what what the Lord is doing in people's hearts and minds and lives, it's absolutely exciting. And, uh, and, and today, after the message, we're going we're gonna to participate in a baptism, and that's another example of God working in, in just our midst. It's, a, it's an exciting thing. And so if, uh, if you're sitting on the edge of your seat right now, just like, man, I can't, can't wait to see what God's going to do in the midst of this service, um, that's fantastic. And if you're not physically doing it, maybe in your heart, you're like right on the edge of your seat. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine what God's doing. Um, the band declared in a, a minute ago in the song that, uh, that you can't be lost if God has said that you're found. If God calls you found, then God is there. God knows where you are. You may feel lost, but you're not, you're not outside of God's knowledge and God's care, and God is right there with you. And so no matter what you're going through right this minute, know that God sees you. God sees your attempt to come here and to, to listen or worship or, or maybe just simply, you know, rest, whatever it is that, that God's doing in your heart right now, um, you know, God sees you. And so as we go through this particular scripture in just a minute, um, I'm, I'm just hoping and praying that as we, as we think about the words that then God's spirit is helping us to understand how can, how can we live in this life in such a way that it's a little more like heaven on earth. We may not get there entirely. We get that. We're broken. The world's broken. There's going to be evil. There's, there's going to be hard times. But could we live in such a way right now that it's more like the kingdom of God, heaven on earth in our midst, at least in glimpses? I'm going to share a story toward the end of my message that for me was just like heaven just kind of came to earth just for a minute, just kind of met, and I was really, really blessed. So I'll be talking about that. But if you wouldn't mind, let's declare this memory verse here together. And as we do, I wanted to let you know this particular passage was chosen by a couple that I married yesterday to have in their wedding. Lee Heron's part of our church here. Barb Timmons a part of our church. Lee's 98 years old. Got married yesterday. Hey Barb, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they chose this passage. So as you think about this passage, they chose this for their wedding. Think about this. You married folks or you folks that hope to be married or remarried, something like that. How would this affect you and your marriage if you kind of try to live into this both, 100%, 100%, not 50-50, but both of you trying to live this out together? Let's, let's read this together. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Ephesians 4, 2-3. You get it, right? It's not easy We have to make every effort, but as we do, even when we come to the end of ourselves, if we call upon God to help, God will give help. Now, as I said, it's got to be 100%, 100%, and sometimes we're we're not matched like that. But if you do 100% all in, calling upon the Lord, 
in marriages that helps tremendously. And you'll see little glimpses of heaven on earth. It's not going to be perpetual all the time, right? It's not automatic. That's part of this message series saying we have to be kind of methodical about giving the effort. But at the same time, it can be a beautiful, beautiful thing. Same thing with friendships. It's really easy to get ticked off and just walk the other way and leave the person. Or it's easy for them to get ticked off and leave, right? And all of us have experienced that. And it stinks, it hurts. But if on both sides of the friendship we're saying, we will make the effort, we'll lean into that, to try to come together, to try to, try to agree, it makes all the difference in the world. So as we think about that, that's part of the Methodist way. You're like, it's not just the title of a denomination or of our church. It's just simply, a, it is that, but it's more than that. It's a kind of a way of living where we're making an effort to grow in our discipleship. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And then he like died for people and he forgave people that were nailing him to a cross. And I'm like, Jesus, that's like a high bar for me to love others like that. And he's like, well, sure. That's why you're gonna have to make every effort to allow the spirit to work through you and to help you to grow and grow and grow. So that's kind of that Methodist way. I'm just kind of reviewing because you may, you may be shocked to hear this, but not every person that's part of our church comes every single Sunday. <laughs> and I get it. Life's complicated. It's crazy. So each Sunday, I try to just try to connect it all together because if you've missed a couple, and I get it, like, you know, we travel, we are out of town, you got work, all this stuff. I just want to make sure we're trying to track together. The Methodist way is just one of many different Christian ways to do it. You may be Baptist, you may be Roman Catholic. If you're Roman Catholic, there are lots of different kind of brands of and ways of living it out. You might be kind of leaning a Jesuit way, a Franciscan way, a Dominican way, you know, you know, in the Protestant way. You may be Presbyterian. Oh, no. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But in the Methodist way, it was an intentional discipleship kind of method where you say, okay, Jesus wants us to love our neighbor and love even our enemies. That's not going to be easy. So could you help me to understand a way to live where that would be easier, at least, where I could really try to get to where we can walk in in a better way? So that's kind of what we're looking at here, different people all around the world trying to live this particular way. And I talked about the DNA of that. It's a code. It's a way of living where you have kind of this code of of conduct. And so you don't have to to copy all this down. Like I said, I'm going to build on this week after week. And, um, but eventually you're going to understand kind of the, the DNA structure. Now, I'm not doing it as that double helix. It's kind of hard to picture, but at least if you kind of, you know, fold it out and you say, okay, what, what's it really mean to follow Jesus? How then can I do this in a methodical way where I'll be able to do it better than I did maybe yesterday or the day before? How do I do that? So the Methodist way is to take two kind of rungs or two rails, or if you're thinking about driving on a highway, it's kind of like having the the lines there, that if you stay within the lines, life gets a lot better, it works out a lot better, because that's the way God wants you to live. On one side, you've got loving God and all people. Love God and all people. I'll get to the Bible verse in a minute, but you get that as a principle. And God, we're talking about his Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So God is in relationship to God's self. That makes sense then why humans, if we're created in the image of God, Part of heaven on earth is when we have good friendships, good relationships. Where did that come from? It came because God is that relational kind of God. So that would make sense then that if we could live out life loving other people and loving God, that'll keep us from some stuff that will derail us and we'll get dead in a ditch, right? If we come back and we say, no, I'm going to stay close to God and I'm going to love God and I'm going to love all people, love my neighbor as myself, 
The other side of this is more specifically Methodist. Now, the Methodists in England, we talked about it before, the Christian leaders were kind of becoming elitist, and, and they weren't quite kind of bringing it down to the level of the people, and if, if you were working in the factories or different, you know, things, mining and stuff, you never made it to church, and the, the church leaders weren't coming to you, except the Methodists decided, no, we're going to go to them, and we're going to try to help them to understand what it means to be a Christian. And it's like, wait a second, does that mean that, that as soon as we talk with somebody who doesn't know God, should we say, hey, I'm only going to be your friend if you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, you know, that he died and then raised from the dead. I'm not going to be your friend unless you believe exactly the way I believe. Do you think that's the way the Methodists did it? No. But do sometimes Christians kind of act like that? Yeah, sometimes. What they did was they said, hey, let's kind of make it easy for people to understand some of this hard-to-understand Bible and invite people to join in with us and come alongside of us without the expectation that we're going to abandon them if they don't believe exactly like we believe right off the bat. So they said, look, God wants you to avoid evil. Now, does that make sense? Do I have to sell you on that? Does God want you to avoid evil? Are you sure? Maybe we could try the rest of the day to try to be as evil as we could be, right? And say, let's see if that really works, right? If that drives us, draws us close to God. I'm not suggesting that. <laughs> I'm really afraid now. Somebody just heard that part. They'll, they'll be like, done. I'm out of here. That's what I, no, it's ridiculous. Even somebody that doesn't know God well or doesn't know Jesus well, if you start to lead with that and you say, hey, let's live out life where we try to avoid evil, okay? So if something's gonna tank us, then let's not do that. If going to that particular party might raise the level of temptation to the point that we might fall into stuff that we don't want to fall into, then hey, me as your friend, let's not go to that party, let's do something else, or let's create some other thing. Does that make sense? And adults out there, am I just talking about kids? No, <laughs> no I'm not, am I? You know, um, some of the retirement uh, communities now have gotten so bad that they're spreading diseases around because they're retired and they're like, well, hey, I've lived a good life up till now, now I can do whatever I want. True story, check it out, do some research, it's ugly. Does temptation stop when you reach the age of, say, 57? Temptation stop, you're like, now I'm holy. <laughs> no, so at all ages, we have to avoid evil. And then why? To do good, to do good. So I, I was listening to a podcast by um, David Allen, he's this um, organizational guru, right, getting things done, and he made the analogy that putting forth effort to organize your life gives you extra energy to be creative and to do other things. He, he, he made it like this. This is an analogy, and I think, I think you'll get this. So he said the center line of a two-way road, the center line keeps both parties coming and going away from each other so that as you drive, you don't have to be paranoid and think so much about trying to avoid a heading collision. You have to a little bit. But by, the, by having the line, by having that boundary, you can be free to drive and think of other things other than just terror that somebody's going to hit you head on. Isn't that cool? And all of us have had that experience where you've driven a couple of miles and then you realize, I've barely been thinking about driving. I've been processing all this other stuff. Why didn't you have an accident? Because you had the guidelines already there. If you say you will avoid evil and do good, and you will love God and all people, it's like it gives you these boundaries where as long as you're living that out, you're going to save yourself a lot of heartache. I was working with this guy. We were trying to get back on the right track. 
and he had made a lot of mistakes, and I thought that we were making a lot of progress. Um, and uh, then he cheated on his wife, got another girl pregnant, and then wanted me to help cover it up. Okay, now you probably haven't seen my job description, but <laughs> that's, that's not even under and other duties as required, right? Like, that's not, that's not the way it works. And I realized, dang, he spent so much time lying, you know, kind of deceiving, trying to protect and hide and all this kind of stuff. And my heart broke because he was one of the nicest, most giving guys on this other side of his life. And I thought, he's wasting so much energy trying to cover this up and trying to make it right and just, you know, but not really being honest. And I was like, man, isn't this the way that life works if we can avoid that kind of stuff? Because you know if you tell one lie, it's not just the one, is it? Then you have to tell another one and cover it up, and then you got to remember those two, and who did you tell, and it's exhausting. So to have some more heaven on earth, you're just going to say, wait, I'll avoid the evil in the first place if I can, if I possibly can. I'll try to do the good that I can. Now, there's a lot more to Christianity you know. We know that. I'm not saying there isn't, but the Methodist said there are three general rules. The first one is do no harm to, and avoid evil. Avoid evil. And the second one is do good. And the third one was there are all these other ways then to love God and love your neighbor. That's what we'll be talking about in the rest of the, of the uh, Sundays to come. That's the general DNA of intentional discipleship. There's a whole branch of Christianity that kind of says you got to be forgiven, but then that's it, man. you got really no hope of being nicer. There's no hope of being more loving. You're just broken, so you just try to get forgiven. And the Methodists, as they looked at the Bible, they said, no, Jesus said love. Like, you can make progress in this. You can make progress. So in order to start loving God and all people, we'll just try to avoid evil. We'll try to do the good that we can. Where did they get that, you know? Are you just quoting people or are you quoting the Bible? Well, they got it all from the Bible, different places. I really like this. Check this out. This is Old Testament times, you know, more than 2,000 years ago. It says, the highway of the upright avoids evil. Those who guard their ways preserve their lives. You get that, right? Now, I know it wasn't exactly the highway of today, but still, if you're trying to go down the right path and you avoid the evil that might sink you, you're going to have a lot more energy then, and you're going to preserve your life to be able to help other people. What might that look like? Well, I don't know what your particular sins are, so let's just kind of go section by section and let you tell me what your, what your deepest, darkest sins are. Let's start with the front row, right? You just, what do you, we got time, right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be terrible? Like if we were like, tell us, you know, no, you know. Does anybody else know? You're like, oh, I can tell, no, I just... We would never do that, never ever do that to you, right? You get that, right? There's probably something up here that maybe you struggle with. So, you know, in the top left, I mean, are there, are there places where if you go there, for you personally, it's just too tempting, right? Other people may not bother. Other people may be fine, and God's work may be done there. And I, I totally agree. Um, but for others, you know, it's like, where is that? Um, in the top middle, right? Uh, it's not just kids that can be looking at the wrong stuff on the computer, right? So check this out. I have a friend who decided, he's, he told me, confessed. He said, when I'm alone, I'm looking at bad stuff. So now we move the computer out into the living room where everybody else is. So when I use it, other people are around and it just kind of helps me stay accountable. I was like, that was gutsy, right? 
to just own, hey, I've got to do something to avoid evil. That's kind of a Methodist thing to do. It's really cool. The top right one, shopaholic, um, and buying stuff that maybe uh, makes us feel good, but maybe isn't the best for the family. It's only women that have that problem. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and the guy comes home, hey, you know, I've been saving so much money by not spending stuff at the grocery store, and I bought this boat, <laughs> right? And I was like, what? Right? So if you avoid it and say, wait, you know, let's have an agreement, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try to, why do you try to protect yourself from that? Because then if you haven't gone crazy into debt in certain things, it gives you the freedom to give and help other people when the need arises, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Or to buy something to bless somebody else, right? Um, the bottom left one. Uh, where is the line, where's the difference between sharing because you care and you want other people to pray for this person and crossing that line into what you're sharing, if that person were present, they'd be hurt. You'd hurt their feelings. It would be damaging. Where's, that's, the, that's kind of the gossip line, right? It's like, no, 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 I'm just sharing because I care. (laughs) Well, hold on. If we avoid some evil, then we'll be able to do some more good, and our prayers will be a little bit more focused. It'll be beautiful. Now, the bottom middle one, I'm not even sure why I put that up there, because politics, we never think bad thoughts and get angry in politics, right? You know, and I'm sure that all of us have equally supported both of those presidents, right, and just, you know, poured out showers of praise on Facebook for both, right? This is the best regime ever, you know, I don't know. But check this out. If we called time out in our heart and we knew that doing good is part of, it's just part of that method. Maybe you don't believe exactly like me yet. Okay, well, could we agree that God at least wants us to do the good that we could? Let's kind of start there and walk that path. So watch this. I'm going to give you 15 seconds to intentionally look at the guy on the left and the guy on the right. Bottom center, right? You know who they are, the presidents. I want you to look at the guy on the left and then look at the guy on the right and to the best of your ability, pray a prayer of love for them individually. Okay? Whether you agree or disagree, whatever. 15 seconds, we're just going to look at them through God's eyes as best we can, pray for them some kind of good, loving prayer for both of them. Okay, here we go. I don't know about you, but when I do that, it feels very different than when I look at them on the news or on the computer. Does that make sense? If I call time out in my heart and I say, hey, I want to do no harm, I want to avoid evil, I just want to do good, Let let me pray for them individually. Because Jesus died for both of them, didn't he? You can say yes. Not a trick question. Jesus died for both of them. He loved both of them. He wants both of them in heaven. When we live forever and ever with Jesus, Jesus is trying to get both of those guys into heaven with us. You realize that, right? And so I don't want to live with hatred because then when I die and I get up to heaven, if, if they're standing there, <laughs> I don't want to be like, oh, well, thanks. I'm not going in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> like Jesus would be like, look, we've transformed people's lives. We're, we're different. We're going to be able to love each other. It's crazy. And then the bottom right one, are there places and things that happen where we could kind of limit our exposure or do something methodically to avoid the evil. So I had, a, I had somebody tell me 
they said, look, when I'm at the games, and this is baseball, when I'm at the baseball games, you're going to see me kind of far away from the field because I don't trust myself when I'm up close and around everybody else. I don't trust what I'm going to say in my anger, and I'm going to say something against the umpire or against the other coach or against our coach. And it's like, I just kind of need a little distance so that I can just kind of take it in and appreciate it. I was like, how cool is that? Methodically just kind of think through, how can I put myself in a position where I can do good and I can encourage and I can help other people? A few scripture passages, then that story that I was telling you about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love your neighbor. That's one side of the DNA. That's one side of the rail that we're trying to follow. Who said it? Seriously, I'm not trying to trick you. And probably over half the time when I ask, Jesus is going to be it. So you just yell at Jesus. Who said this? Jesus. Amazing guy, right? That means that even as you think right now about your literal neighbor who lives next to you, remember that neighboring uh, stuff that we did as a church, the literal neighbor, Jesus loves them. Love them so incredibly much that you may be the most loving person that they know. That's crazy. It's amazing. It's beautiful. As we do that, we're loving God. In the same way, Jesus said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify you because you're an amazing person and you've shown them that, no, you caught me, right? You're living out that good life, not because you're bragging on yourself, because you're bragging on Jesus. You're trying to help them to understand Jesus. Jesus is the one. That's different. That's beautiful. And so as you do that, it changes people's lives. If you're scratching your head and you're saying, yeah, but what's the good that I'm supposed to do? Well, this is a pretty cool passage. Micah 6, 8, some of you have memorized it. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. Oh, this would be good for you guys to say with me, wouldn't it? Some of you are already doing it. Let's say it together. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Like, I don't know what to do with my life. Well, I may not be able to tell you specifics, but let's start with some generalities. What is just? What is right and fair and just? Let's do that. How can you show mercy to somebody else around you? Let's try to do that, right? Let's try to be humble and just kind of walk with God and say, God, where, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to avoid? What do you want me to do then? And this may be at a really, really high level. You may, you may be fighting for justice in the court system. You may be, you may be helping people to, to have mercy after they've done something horrible and you're trying now to walk with them in, a, in a, just a profound way and kind of put the pieces back of, of life. That's awesome. Like you're doing God's work. And sometimes that gets so intimidating. You're like, well, I, I, I don't know that I can have the, a huge influence on other people. I'm not sure that I can do something crazy, crazy amazing. Well, two stories, okay? The first story would be somebody told me just this past week from this church. They said, look, that neighboring stuff, that meant a lot to me. So my wife and I, we threw a party in our neighborhood. Now, his neighborhood's different from mine. Mine, you've got like 20 feet between houses. His, you've got like 300 feet, you know, maybe more than that. And if you move to that kind of place, you like your privacy, right? You like isolation. So if you threw a block party with those people, they're probably not going to come, right? Probably not. They were floored. There were like 15 different families that came to this, you know, roast a hot dog and just talk to each other. And they didn't want to leave, 
and they hardly even wanted to eat. They just loved to like getting to know, oh, you're the guy with the F-150 that goes up and down. Oh my gosh, yeah, and I, oh, I love your flowers. And they were just talking. Doing the good that they were called to do, that couple changed everything. And the lady coming out of the first service said, I lived in there for like 20 years, and I met people that I hadn't known, even though we had lived in that place for 20 years. That was a cool party. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? You can smile. Don't feel guilty if you haven't done that yet. Like, like, be happy for them and then find your own way to do that. I've got another story, and this one's a little, little personal with me, all right? Now, see, if I bought the right product from Scott's miracle Grow, <laughs> I wouldn't have this problem. But I'm in, in a, in a new, new place, new, new house. I've only been there, you know, handful of weeks, right? And so, so as I'm living there, the weeds have gotten worse and worse and worse because they were already bad when we got in there. And so I'm like, okay, I finally got to start weeding. But it's been hot outside. Have you noticed that? <laughs> like, you know? And so it was hot. And so I, I, I did the back of the house, then I'm coming over on the side of the house where Jeff lives and, and his wife, they live right next door. And I saw Jeff was out there pulling weeds. And I said, Jeff, if I'd have known you were going to be out here, I would have contracted with you to do my side of the house. And he looked up and he said, well, if I'd have known you were going to be here, I would have contracted you to do this for me, right? And so I'm like, oh man. And I had more weeds than he did. I think they were taller anyway. And so I'm pulling and pulling and pulling. I did the whole side of the house and I've got this mess. I mean, it just looks like, you know, the, the apocalypse hit all of these weeds and it's just nasty and they sting your arms. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And it was, it was middle of the afternoon, hot, hot, hot. And I went inside. I was like, I just can't, I can't, I can't gather them all up right now. I'm going to wait until the sun kind of goes down. Then I'll come back out. And I just left them there. And uh, then I went inside and did some more work and painted and painted. And so now that it's cooler, I'm going to come outside, but I'm even more grumpy than I was be before because I'm tired, Right. I know, you're like, I'm shocked. I thought you were a holy man of God. I'm sorry to let you down. I was grumpy. So I, I came outside, and I, I, I rounded my, the side of the house, and I looked down through, and my grass is perfect. No weeds. Jeff picked them all up. And I, my, I'll tell you what, I get goosebumps thinking about it. Like, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but for me, at that time, when I, how tired and mad and hot I was, I was like, I've only known the guy for a handful of weeks. And he, he doesn't go to church and it's a little standoffish when I told him what I did, you know, which can be a conversation stopper. Oh, you're a pastor. <laughs> Great. See you later. You know, and uh, he cleaned them all up. So the next day I saw him outside and I said, Jeff, you picked up all my weeds. And he was like, yeah, yeah. I had my wheelbarrow out and I was picking mine up and I saw yours. And I was like, ah, you know, I got room and no big deal. And I said, no, Jeff, you got to understand. Like for me, I was in a bad mood, I was hot, tired, and I came out and you just lifted my spirits like, it was crazy, thank you. And we went our separate ways. And I was like, I'm the church dude, I'm supposed to do that for him, right? But he did it for me. So my challenge to you and to me would be, hey, go be like Jeff. Simple, do the good that God's put in front of you and it's gonna bless them in God's name somehow, some way. Let's pray for a second. God, in just a second, we're going to, uh, to have a baptism right here. And as we do, and as we go from that into a prayer time, I pray that that whole expression will be a time of prayer where we are listening to you, committing to avoid the evil that you're saying, hey, time to avoid it. 
with my strength, you can be stronger, you'll make it. And what's the good that we're called to do? God, what kind of good do you want us to do? For our literal neighbor or for somebody else? Just kind of put that on our heart as we commit to you to do that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we got a friend named John who's sitting right here. And uh, I've made him have to wait this whole service before to call him up here to get baptized in front of everybody. Um, how many of you absolutely love standing in front of a crowd of a couple hundred folks, right? That's crazy, man. Uh, so John, nobody raised their hand, right? So, so you're in good company. So would you come on up? And uh, Mike and Danica and, and Will, if you guys want to come up here too, just kind of stand with him. You can. You don't have to, but you know, if you want to, it's totally cool. Um, yeah, it's all good. Oh, you're, you're the photographer. You can stay totally there. It's perfect. Um, so this is John. Did you say hi, John? Do you love John, yes or no? Yes. I do too. And he's a good witness to me. Um, and, uh, and I'll tell you what, I told him, had I known you were going to dress up, man, I'd have stepped up my game. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's absolutely awesome. So, uh, so I'm still trying to get used to the new service times and all that kind of stuff. And so I forgot my official liturgy. But I do know the questions to ask in general. So I'm going to ask him. I'm going to let him answer. And then those of you that have been baptized, I want you to kind of think about recommitting your own life to God as you think about, am I, am I avoiding the evil? Am I living out the good? Am I believing in the Lord? And so, um, so one of the questions that the Methodists had asked, and I'll ask you right now, John, so do you do all in your power to reject the forces of evil in this world and repent of your own sin? If so, say, I do. I do. Those of you out there, do you? I do. Do you accept the freedom and power that God gives you to resist that evil, but also to live the Christian life? If you do, would you say, I do? I do. I do. To you all, I do. Do you accept Jesus Christ as your own Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to follow him with the church of all ages, nations, and races? If so, say, I do. I do. To you all. Will you faithfully live out the gospel as expressed in the Old and New Testaments and show the world Jesus' love by your own life? If so, say, I will. I will. Will you all? I will. Let's pray for a minute, okay? God, John is a testimony to me. He is a blessing to me. I thank you for his courage. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for the forgiveness that you have showered upon him and upon me. I thank you that he's my brother in Christ and there will be people that he'll reach that I could never reach. So I'm humbled by you, I'm humbled by him. I thank you for Mike's friendship and his testimony and his witness. And I pray that you would bind us together with your love and your spirit. And God, I pray over this water, I pray that your presence would be with us and that it would be both a symbol of your love and your grace and your, your holiness upon us and the washing of sin that your death on the cross paid for us, Jesus. But I also pray that the Holy Spirit would bless it and would bless John and bless all of us that in this holy action there would be an extra measure of grace coming upon John 
and upon us, his friends, his family. May it be so in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, John, would you come on over? And Mike, you can come right up here too. All right, brother? We love you dearly, dearly, dearly. And so, John, Walt, I pray for you and I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You're my brother. You're my brother. We love you. Yeah, man. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank you. It's awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> hey, check it out, dude. Check it out. <laughs> awesome. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you, man. I love you. As we enter into another time of prayer, uh, he's responding. Are you responding? If you need to be prayed for in any way, shape, or form, we've got prayer team members that are coming forward to pray. I'm going to be praying as well. We'll pray for requests that have been passed in. Let's pray together. God, in this time of prayer, will we just take a couple of minutes here to just focus on you and to say, okay, Lord, what are you calling me to do? How are you calling me to step out? What, how do you want me to be courageous? Move in this room. Bring people close to you. If people need to commit to you, their lives, maybe they need to step forward and come to a prayer team and say, hey, I just, I want to be all in following Jesus. Somebody needs to be healed. Somebody needs to be delivered from anything evil, anything demonic. Just, Lord, help us to be able to to pray for one another. Just be able to have the freedom that you've given us by Jesus' death and resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit upon us. We're in prayer now for you and to you, Lord. Thank you for listening as we pray.